to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. It's really tragic. Uh, it's I know that we've all been talking about it so much, and you know it's sad that it just bears repeating, and it's going to take over everything that we talk about here on our little politics podcast. But um, the Wiley e. Coyote movie was shelved. Did you see that, Anders Lee? <laughs> what? No. <laughs> Wait, really? That what happened? Very... <laughs> uh, they were making a Wiley e. Coyote movie, and I think it was going to be written by James Gunn and starring John Cena, much like um, what's that show, Peacemaker? I think it was James Gunn, but definitely John Cena. Um, they were making a Wiley e. Coyote, like I don't know, CGI or live action or something. I don't know if he's going to put on a coyote suit, and it's been shelved. And <clears throat> so all of the. <laughs> I don't know. There's like this weird online campaign. It's like, bring it back because it would have been brilliant. And <laughs> I know a lot of this is coming from like uh, the just the strikes and stuff in Hollywood and people, you know, d- drawing from this a larger story, which is that the uh, the studios, you know, will use us as workers like pawns and like, you know, start and end projects depending on various uh, unhuman metrics you know, uh, focus grouping and whether they think it's going to make a lot of money or whatever. But um, it is kind of funny that people are like acting like this was going to be like really good because <laughs> it kind of <laughs> sounds like it was going to be like a Space Jam type movie. Although right. J- John Cena, a very good actor, if I'm getting this right and it was James Gunn, then yeah, maybe it was going to be like really funny or something. But we'll um, see. Now I am. I'm remembering, I think I did hear that uh, they had what appeared to be like a contract ready uh, for everybody to sign. And they were going into the building to sign the contract. And it turned out it was just a wall. Yeah, no, they ran really good into the wall. And then the the roadrunner showed up with a sign and turned the sign. And it said like, um, Yowza. I can't remember what that sign said. They always turned a sign. (laughs) I would be. I I would be actually really curious to see what that what that movie is. Um, you said it's not about Roadrunner; it's about Wiley e. Coyote. I think that he's the protagonist of the film. It was like Coyote versus Acme or something like that. So he's like okay. it's him against the company Acme. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, that uh, also, would be pretty. Just like three hours of gags, like no real like strong plot, just like gag after gag. You could get away with so much now. The possibilities are endless. I don't know, man. I kind of think that, like, they actually... There's been movies that, when you told me the premise, I was like, okay, there's no fucking way that's going to be a good movie. Like, you can't make a movie out of, like, Pogs or whatever. And then you go watch it, and they've used everything in the studio's arsenal to make a compelling film where, by the end of it, you're like, I can't believe the slammer died in the third act. And, you're like, it works. (laughs) It just... They know how to make a fucking story at this point. So... Uh, I maybe it would have been good. Maybe it wouldn't have just been a bunch of gags. I don't know. You know, I had fun watching that stupid Mario movie, even though it was like em- empty garbage that they just, you know, it's like Instagram algorithm made it because they know you 
you'll mm. you'll stare at it or whatever. Anyway, hello everyone. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the the show. I'm the Wiley Coyote of the podcast. I'm Jake Flores. That's Anders Lee. Beep beep. <laughs> That's Roadrunner for Anders Lee here. Um, mm-hmm. I uh, I don't want to get bogged down too much in Hollywood, but I I kind of heard that the, the SAG um, deal that was made, you know, recently the mm-hmm. the Screen Actors Guild's end of the strike is ended. It's not very good. I was reading through a little bit of it. And apparently, there there's a lot of AI shit in it, and it sounds like it's going to make it way harder to to be to to be an actor and for actors to get roles. Like apparently, because of what the rights that are included for the studios to uh, to take like AI imagery from actors, it's going to make it to where if you're going for a role, you're now competing against not only every other actor going for the role, but all of the library of just made up like copied people that they have and it's also apparently going to be a situation where uh like the big name actors it's like a stratified situation the poor get poorer the rich get richer so if you're like a Mm -hmm. huge like tom cruise level actor what you can do now via ai is actually work on multiple projects at the same time that you couldn't before because you could only be in one place right but now you could be in multiple places because you're a bunch of images or whatever. So, um, interesting, you know, maybe they should, uh, light a big red cartoon rocket on fire and crash into something. <laughs> Speaking yeah, of rockets. That's... No, go ahead. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I was just gonna, I was just gonna make a very banal point that it's uh, disappointing because the, it seemed like there are pretty good strictures put on AI in the WGA deal. Um, yeah, it sounds like less so for some reason in the SAG end of things, but I don't know. I've only read a little bit about it. We'll have to have somebody out here in Hollywood where I live now. Come talk to us about it sometime. Um, speaking of rockets, though, (laughs) I, I read in Fox news today and in a number of other outlets, uh, that the, uh, the, the, the no goodniks over in Palestine that are um, working for this Hamas organization. Apparently they've been ordering their goods from Acme. Anders Lee. Really? I don't know how else to segue, segue into this. <laughs> Something really funny is going on. Apparently Breitbart seems to think that, um, that there's a fentanyl filled rocket <laughs> that Hamas has gotten a hold of. Um, okay. Actually, you know what? I lied. The Breitbart's the only person running the story. The other one is the one that was kind of running everywhere. But this is like something that clearly this writer, Joel D. Pollock, just made up. Because if you read the article, it doesn't really, like, it's not based on anything. It's pure speculation <laughs> that, in theory, Hamas could fill a rocket full of fentanyl and shoot <laughs> it at Israel. Um, it's insane. I'll read a little bit for you now. Israel is preparing for the possibility that Hamas terror organization in Gaza and the Hezbollah terror group in Lebanon may be atta- uh, may attack using various liquid fentanyl variants designed to incapacitate and kill large numbers of people. The MDA, Israel's version of the Red Cross, sent an alert to staffers this week telling them that Israel's health authorities have warned the MDA to prepare for the possibility that the terror organizations might cause a mass casualty event using opioids from the fentanyl class of compounds. Um, <laughs> so this organization in MDA is doing like... Um, uh, you know, 
what do you call it uh when you teach people how to use um naloxone and stuff like that because of this the idea that this could possibly happen <laughs> this is it's just entirely been made up um but it's no one's ever done this and their research into this is saying that like if you were to fill a rocket full of fentanyl it, all the fentanyl would be destroyed when the rocket exploded because fentanyl doesn't i mean on top of that fentanyl you know doesn't absorb through the skin like police mm. are always kind of saying <laughs> and it gets so, incinerated in an explosive blast yeah i mean unless that you inhaled sense. the blast i guess <laughs> like like <laughs> from above like a gravity bong or whatever then i don't think this is like really possible um but there's this story that i guess they're basing this on which is <laughs> i mean like everything in this article is equally dubious so like, i don't really know this to be true but it i don't know it's be not true either but apparently um <laughs> so it Russia employed fentanyl analogs in a counterterrorism role in October 2002. 40 Chechen terrorists seized Moscow's Dubrovka theater and more than 800 hostages. They strung mm. explosives around the theater and threatened to destroy it and kill the hostages unless Russia agreed to end its military campaign in Chechnya. After several days of unsuccessful negotiations and the Chechens' threat that it would start killing hostages... Russian security forces pumped an aerosolized combination of two fentanyl analogs into the theater to incapacitate the inhabitants and permit the building to be stormed. The terrorists and approximately 130 of the 800 hostages were killed. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess if that's a true story, you can aerosolize it and like fill a room with it and it kills people instead of incapacitating them which is what they said that there was their aim and wow. also it killed like oh over an eighth of the 800 uh hostages too <laughs> so that's the only time fentanyl's ever been weaponized in war and it was uh, a goof because it literally just killed everyone damn um yeah <laughs> fent rocket not as fun as it sounds I know. I mean, shoot it at my ass, man. I'm I'm ready to, to party, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, shoot it. Fill it full of other stuff. Shit, man. Don't step on my rocket, you know. Shoot me full of pure. Um, <laughs> that's cool. one of the insane stories that is coming out of, like, the, the IDF propaganda machine right now. And uh, I don't know if you've seen the other one that's really fucking good. But there's... This is the president of Israel, by the way, which is different from the prime minister, folks. Um, he gave a press conference holding a copy of Mein Kampf written in Arabic and oh, claimed yeah. that it was found in a bedroom that was like a civilian children's bedroom that Hamas was using as a base of operations and it was full of like post-it notes and shit like that <laughs> so uh the precocious of, child was reading it i it's unclear what they're even trying to claim i think the story that they're trying to weave here is that hamas agents were like reading mein Kampf for uh ideas in this child's bedroom and how dangerous is this? Cause then the child could pick it up and become indoctrinated by Hamas. Uh -huh. Cause he's around a copy of Mein Kampf and their dangerous ideology. It's 
um because it doesn't seem like it was the the child's property and um like the notes indicate they're using the cover of this fucking version though is so funny it's uh it's, it's in arabic it's in arabic and the the cover features like a portrait of hitler kind of slumped over like a desk writing and he looks like um <laughs> he's like bummed out and sweating i guess that this he he didn't have any authority over <laughs> the, the artwork on the millionth edition or whatever the fuck of yeah. mein kampf but it it just looks like deviant art shit <clears throat> Right. Um, His real struggle is writing that fucking book because it's I I have not read it, but it doesn't seem like a kid's book. I don't think you would get much out of it if you're seven. Um, (laughs) Pretty clear they they just planted this. I mean, they're doing more of the uh, the impression game. They get they having more footage, quote unquote, that's released from Hamas. That's just very clearly an Israeli person in a terrible accent pretending to speak arabic um, yeah I mean, there's so much of this there was a thing going around the other day that like was being passed off as proof that um that palestinians are faking like the blood and uh injuries and stuff like that and it was a video of like a movie that was filmed over there <laughs> so it's people putting on makeup to look injured because they're about to film a scene in a movie as proof it's bananas. Like people are easily able to cite this sort of stuff. Um, yeah. So the the mind conf thing is obviously like the when the police plant uh, cocaine on you to then make you guilty and you know so they can shoot you and stuff like that. Which mm-hmm. the IDF does train our police. If anyone's unaware of that, right. that's a whole part of this shit. So makes sense for where they got. Yeah, it get ready for that that same copy of uh, Arab mind conf to turn up in some inner city in the U.S. Right, it's, it's probable cause. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're cutting foot. They're cutting fence off of Arab Mon- Mein Kampf. My copy of Mein Kampf is stepped on with fentanyl, and when <laughs> I read it, I pass out. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm doing a speed run of like handful of the hilarious things that they've like tried to prop up that are clearly fake or whatever. But I wanted to lead into my favorite one, which is. Um, the hospital <laughs> that they're like planning to bomb, which is just mind melting considering the first hospital they blew up, there was this whole politicized event around it and an argument about whether they did it. Since then, they've just openly just bombed like eight hospitals and somehow yeah. it's become no longer a thing. Uh, but there's this this big main hospital that the name is escaping me right now. Uh, I was just reading about what they're claiming that they have to bomb it because the headquarters of Hamas is in the basement underneath it came with a mock-up diagram of the basement, which um, an architect pointed out is like in the, the diagram they drew. That's not where a basement would be. Like it's not just directly below um, (laughs) the entire thing in the same shape and stuff of it. Um, 
But the thing that really got me about this, Anders, is that this is the plot to Pee Wee's Big Adventure, if you've never seen it. Really? Rest in peace, Paul Rubens. Uh, <laughs> if any of our younger comedy fan listeners have never seen Pee Wee's Big Adventure, turn this shit off right now and go watch it. It's one of the funniest <laughs> movies of all time. But uh, have you seen that? I have not. I No, no. I, rem- I vaguely remember Pee Wee's Playhouse. And then I think uh, my household may have fallen under the spell that this guy was a creepy perv and we shouldn't allow our kids to to watch him, but which is, you know, not not fair uh, because he was at a, <laughs> a porno theater jacking off. But uh, tell me about Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I don't think I've seen it. Wow. OK, uh, well, first off, Pee Wee did nothing wrong. Second to free him. Well, he's dead, but uh, I agree now, yeah. his legacy. Uh, but no, so I, spoiler alert, I guess it doesn't matter. It's a comedy, like literally doesn't do anything. But, um, if you've never seen Pee Wee's Big Adventure, the plot of it is that his bicycle is stolen, much like, uh, myself. And he, he, he goes to track it down and gets a lead that it's being kept in the basement of the Alamo. And so he spends the entire movie trying to like on a quest to get to the Alamo so we can go to the basement. And when he gets there, they're like, the Alamo doesn't have a basement. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's an old Pueblo. They don't have fucking basements. It's made of clay and shit. Um, I don't think this hospital has a basement is what I'm getting at. And I don't, if it does, I don't think it's Hamas's secret headquarters. Even if it did, like if it is, I don't think it's justification for blowing up a bunch of babies and shit inside of it. There seems to be this very weird expectation that Gaza, given even given the limited amount of resources it has, they need to do like separate hospitals, I guess, for Hamas. Like they would have just their own completely separate area. That's where they're going to operate just to be kosher, for lack of a better term. But when you like reverse it on the other side, like the IDF often operates in residential neighborhoods, IDF soldiers will if it comes down to it use normal hospitals like that i mean if they if they had like the the amount of resources the idf did maybe they would have their own hospitals but like they don't you've deprived them of all this shit where are they supposed to go like just a it's just this bizarre expectation that's never repeated anywhere else that hamas soldiers are going to like go out of the way to just not be near any civilians even when that just like is not physically feasible even if they wanted to do it they couldn't yeah i mean you can split hairs about this all day arguing on the internet but the bigger picture the forest for the trees here is this is like classically a a justification for genocide it's just happened before a bunch of times in history is that you claim there's this one element that you have to kill and that they will it's their fault because they hide within the the the, you know the the, what do you civilians or whatever therefore we gotta blow up this whole fucking village there's there's no it's it's perfectly crafted because there's no way to prove any of that wrong because you're saying it's hidden it's in the basement and, uh, you know, what are you going to do from there? What are you going to do? Um, well, the Israeli propaganda machine. We're going to get our bike back from Hamas. That's what we're going <laughs> to do. <laughs> what if you put Sorry, like a geolocate thing on your bike and it got stolen and you just see it winds up in the Gaza Strip? <laughs> I'd be so proud of my bike. I, <laughs> I, I hope someone would use it for something cool. 
Um, well, as I was saying, yeah, the Israeli propaganda machine uh, seems to be kind of slipping and has some cracks in it. They are letting through uh, to the New Yorker. There was a woman interviewed by Isaac Chotner, and I'm sure this was uh, I doubt the Israeli government was happy about this interview. Um, but this woman is a settler, Daniela Weiss, who uh, is part of the, the settler movement in the, in the West Bank. There continued nearly a million people, despite international law, have continued to build and maintain settlements. Uh, people who are Israeli in what's supposed to be Palestinian territory. Uh, and this is just a very revealing piece. Um, she says as to how she would describe the settler movement, it's a continuation of 120, 30, 40 years ago. It's a chapter in the history of Zionism. Uh, settlement is the way to return to Zion. Uh, she wants to, the beginning of the revival of the Jewish nation in the homeland. Uh, and to his credit, Shatner asks her, well, there's this Palestinian slogan that's become controversial in the U.S. People are calling it anti-Semitic, despite the fact I would add that uh, a few years ago, this was not nearly as controversial. It's kind of a ginned up thing uh, from the river to the sea, meaning from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. Very broad slogan uh, could mean really a lot of different things, right? It, it just means freedom fundamentally, but as to the arrangement, one state, two states, whatever, that's kind of open. It's just like the Palestinian people should be free in this area where they're from. Uh, and Chotner turns it around and asks a question rarely asked that, you know, Israelis often say the same thing, uh, which usually, um, and the same precepts aren't attached to it. Uh, you know, people don't ask generally, oh, so you mean you want to expel Palestinians? Um, but before he can ever even get this question off, she's like, what is controversial? Um, and he's like, well, Palestinians say from the river to the sea, but you're saying from the river to the Nile is the Jewish homeland. She says, of course, if someone invents a new religion today, who will decide the rules? The first nation that got word from God. So she's basically saying that because Jews heard God first in her mind, uh, they have carte blanche to just expel everybody uh, from this region. Um, and she's like pressed on like, what are the actual borders of, uh, what Israel should be? And it's a lot more expansive than even the, uh, Israeli government would let on. It's basically, um, that entire region. It's, it's kind of like just, it's almost like manifest destiny. Like they should just have the entire Middle East or at least have the right to pursue it uh, as much as they so choose. Um, and when she's asked, like, so what about the Palestinians? She just says they they should just go to Egypt, to Sinai, to Turkey. Um, but even though they're not Egyptian, they're not Turkish. Why would they go to Turkey? And she says, OK, the Ukrainians are not French. But when the war started, they went to many countries um, so just, you know, again, it comes back to what again is a, a hidden, often sort of, uh, glossed over belief that Palestinians are, and should be treated as permanent refugees. They can no have no home of their own, 
Um, that, but you know, as far as their own self-determination, that just, that's a refugee question. This was what, this was the standard, uh, position on the Palestinians until really the eighties that, you know, a state, any kind of, you know, sovereignty is just a silly ordeal to, to even delve into. Uh, they are refugees. They don't belong here. And we basically can do whatever we want. Uh, she's asked at the end of it, we're talking about children. I don't know if the law of nature, uh, which is what she um, reverts to when she's asked about Palestinian children being killed. She says, I got to go by a very basic law of nature. My children are prior to the children of the enemy. They are first. My children are first. Uh, And he says, is is the law of nature what we should be looking at? And she says, yeah, I say my children are first. So (laughs) – very much like a mask off moment for the settlement movement, which I think a lot of Americans just are not familiar with. Uh, and one that even Noah Smith, a neoliberal, soft imperialist to hard imperialist, said, based on this interview, the U.S. government should not be giving money to Israeli settlers. Like this is a guy who's been, you know, concerned trolling the left on everything, but especially on Israel as of late. And even he is saying, I mean, for the first time actually having to think about this, uh, that the U.S. government shouldn't support this. Where have you been for the past, like, 20 years, is my question. Yeah, it's um, not paying so attention yeah, I mean, or something. I think, right. Good. Well, I was just going to say, I think, you know, as we've discussed before, Public opinion is is slowly but surely, I think, starting to turn an elite public opinion when faced with just this hard right fanaticism uh, is kind of at a loss. Um, yeah. Because, yeah. The phrase from the river to the sea being a like accused of being a dog whistle is really interesting to me. I'd never heard that until recently when someone uh, yeah. I know so told me that uh, and it made me. I thought about it and it seemed pretty clear like, oh, okay, like this is what people in that community that's insular, that's perceiving um, a threat or elsewhere probably tell their kids and stuff. But it's clearly like not. There is no secret Hamas basement where we're coming up with slogans to, you know, to to hide, um, you know, to dog whistle like genocide or whatever. It's that's just a plain old, um, you know, rhyme uh, for political reasons about being free from genocide from the apartheid state uh mm-hmm. something interesting that happened i'm trying to find the name of this person but <laughs> some some stupid liberal like uh you know think tank dickhead uh proposed the idea that instead of saying from the river to the sea palestine will be free which is what is apparently carrying the weight of the dog whistle you should say from the river to the sea uh something something equality which also rhymes <laughs> And there's a bunch of cases of people this week being like arrested for saying that in Germany, <laughs> like the equality yeah. one, the new one that this yeah. person came up with and like politicians being censured for it and stuff. So like, uh, clearly that didn't do the job. <laughs> like It didn't change anything, you know? Right. Yeah. And just uh, this past week, students for justice in Palestine, Jewish voice for peace at Columbia university where I am in New York, shut down, de-chartered as student organizations it's just kind of amazing how you know it's it's mccarthyism uh without like the anti-communism i guess i mean that's part of it too uh but it's just 
amazing to see liberals kind of mute at this development. Um, you know, maybe some are speaking out against it, but I think there's, yeah, it's just increasingly people in these elite positions and then just, you know, liberals in general in America are having to face a really revanchist, censorious, disgusting, everything they profess to be against, they're now being confronted with. And what will they do? I don't know. I don't know what impact this will have, but I think, you know, obviously we got to keep up the, uh, the struggle uh, against apartheid because it's, you know, we're slowly, we're slowly, I think, changing, changing people's minds, liberal or not. Yeah. Word. No cap. Um, but speaking of New York, did you see, speaking of New York, uh, our mayor here, what's going on with him? Oh yeah. Eric Adams, get out of your room. He's <laughs> they're going through his laptops and shit. Because uh, they think he cheated money-wise on the, uh, the campaign, right? Yeah. I just, like, I'm dying to know what the hell is on that hard drive. It's all like, happy hardcore. It's just like, a t- you know, somebody has like a terabyte of music, but it's just the insane uh, shit they listen to. He's a weird <laughs> EDM guy, so it's fucking tons of that, I'm sure. It's going to have that, yeah. I mean, a, a bunch of illegal stuff, almost definitely. But I was saying, like, maybe just seasons of Dharma and Greg. <laughs> uh, it's going to be like uh, Bin Laden's hard drive where we just yeah. keep discovering new weird shit that's on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's in, in bed with uh, I mean, more is going to come out about this. I hope he goes down. Of course, uh, I'm honestly kind of surprised this hasn't happened sooner. Um, there's yeah, like a turkey gate is happening in New York. It's like Russiagate, but actually real. Um, yeah. Will he be able to, to run for reelection? Who knows? I mean, that's been a big discussion here is like, who's going to take on Eric. Uh, and maybe now a lot of people are going to run because they might, there may be a special election. I don't want to get my hopes up too much, but um, very real possibility. We won't be seeing mayor Adams for much longer. Um, Wait, but Turkey gate is he being, is the, is the accusation that he's being funded by Turkey? Yeah. His mayoral campaign may have uh, colluded with the Turkish government. He's going to say, no, it's just Thanksgiving. That's why there's so much Turkey on my hard drive. That's yeah, why my search that would be apropos. <laughs> right. It could line up. It could line up. We get an arrest uh, next Thursday. What is it? Two weeks from whatever this whatever thanksgiving is that would be pretty awesome to see him in handcuffs as we're we're eating our our turkey uh both real and tofurkey as i, I ostensibly he eats uh as a, oh, as right. a professor vegan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh wait no I'm, i was i couldn't tell if you're joking or not. is the turkey thing real yes oh i'm not yeah he he <laughs> is likely a, guilty of colluding with the Turkish government. That's awesome. Um, okay. Sorry. Yeah. I asked so many times. It's brilliant. It's just Good so job. funny that it's, it could have been like any government in the, and there, there probably are 
other governments that were involved in his 2021 race too. But it's just so funny that it's that one for some reason. Um, watch it be like the Iraqi government has something on him for some reason. Yeah, I mean, he, he'll he do stuff like, he's like, get me every menu from every Ab- Azerbaijani restaurant in Brooklyn or something like that. Like he'll just ask for random contacts and menus for different kinds of, you know, cuisine uh, that, you know, he has his connections in New York and they go deep. There are some places where Thai, apparently many Thai restaurants are actually funded by the Thai government as a way to promote like tourism. Um, So maybe something happened akin to that. But um, on the topic of municipal government, we had a bunch of elections last week. So covered on the bonus feed a couple weeks ago, the Twin Cities both had city council elections, not mayoral, but city council. And St. Paul, my hometown, may be changing its name soon to St. Paulette or Paulina. I don't know if you heard about this, but all of the city council members in uh, going forward are going to be ladies. It's uh, really... As far as I know, the the first city in America that's all chicks. Uh, I don't know if, some people don't like that. Term. It's all women. All chicks, dude. <laughs> yeah. Seven chicks at the same time. Uh, all female uh, reboot of the city council. Okay, very cool. Yes, that's yeah. They've gone and made it uh, woke yeah, night. I mean, it is, uh, you know, we don't want to be uh, too reductive, but it does appear that the ideological composition is uh, more leftward as a result of, of last week's election. Um, so ladies also moving St. Paul to the left. Uh, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully cementing that rent control in real strong. But uh, across the river in Minneapolis, we had the big... When I was looking at uh, Soren Stevenson um, was challenging the city council president, Andrea Jenkins, uh, and he came. This is a guy who, as we've talked about before, he lost his eye protesting after George Floyd's murder. Um, But he lost a very, very narrow race there, uh, 38 votes. Um, So that's that's definitely disappointing. But. Overall, Minneapolis uh, does have a progressive majority now. Not a socialist majority, but they they did pick up, uh, DSA in, in Twin Cities did pick up uh, a couple seats, um, including, uh, uh, what's her name? Sorry. Um, Oren Chowdhury, uh, who is uh, a socialist. Um, Aisha Chugtai defended her seat as did Robin Wansley. So uh, the majority, yeah, it is it is progressive, soft left. So that does mean there's going to be some constraints put on mayor gentrification, as I like to call them. Nice. Philadelphia, the city council, uh, some, some nice happenings. At-large council member Kendra Brooks uh, was reelected, uh, and they also added... Another uh, lefty person, Nicholas O'Rourke, to 
the at-large sheet and another at-large sheet in in Philadelphia. Um, both of them are out-and-out members of the Working Families Party. So because of uh, Philadelphia's rules, you have to have two parties in the local government. Uh, obviously, Democrats are the majority. Um, but instead of Republicans, now we're getting – we have two Working Families Party people, uh, and they're going to move things, hopefully in Philly. Um you know, Somerville, Massachusetts, some some uh, victories there. We also had uh, someone elected in Santa Fe uh, City Council um, and Jesse Brown in Indianapolis. This is exciting. There's a supermajority that the Democrats have on that city council. This is a guy who challenged the city council vice president uh, in the primary, he primaried, uh, them successfully back in May and has now been elected officially. Uh, hopefully he will, um, and he seems like a very, very strong socialist. He's DSA backed. Um, so that'll be exciting to see what kind of dust he kicks up over in Indy. Uh, we also had some victories in Durham, uh, Portland, Maine. And, uh, unfortunately though, there's, not, uh, you know, there's some setbacks, uh, Allegheny County, Pennsylvania. Um, we also had in Pennsylvania, uh, Sarah Inamorato, who used to be a DSA member, left the organization over the, um, over some controversy stuff and, and, and denounced us recently after, after October 7th. Um, but the, most disappointing thing to me was in Cincinnati, there is a referendum on whether or not to sell off the municipally owned uh, train. Um, and they did vote with the backing of the mayor, um, who this is, by the way, this is the guy who said that Patrick Mahomes should take a paternity test to see if uh, Joe Burrow is his dad. Um, but they they supported a referendum to sell off this train to Norfolk Southern. If that name sounds familiar, that's the company that was in charge of the, the train that fucking careened and caused all kinds of mayhem in East Palestine, Ohio. So they're getting another oh, fucking line. Right. Yeah. Um, more privatization, not good. Uh, but um, it's looking like rent control in places like... Uh, Portland, Maine is not going to exempt small landlords, quote unquote, and uh, Tacoma, Washington housing uh, is is on the agenda as well. There is a, a referendum there for tenants bill of rights um, and yeah, housing continues to be, I think, one of the major issues in the United States. Um, and this is, by the way, I should mention a lot of this is is summarized by uh, Bronco Marsha Teach uh, in on the Jacobin website. Um, but as we have discussed on the show, that is, uh, I think, the most important urban policy issue is housing, uh, because the local level is where so much of it is decided, sometimes state, uh, but often local, uh, because now, like, the federal government is kind of uh, constrained as to how much they can actually fund things like public housing. Um, so it right now is a is a local issue and it affects everybody uh especially if you're homeless but even if you're just a, a renter 
or in some cases, even a, a homeowner, um, housing policy is a huge thing. And it's, it's really one-sided, of course. Uh, and we are perhaps on the precipice of some kind of paradigm shift, right? Things could continue getting worse and more expensive, and in all likelihood, they will. Um, but there's a possibility now, sort of waiting in the wings, are new policies, uh, social housing. Um, people are discussing now. It's being introduced in small, uh, on a small bore way in, in cities throughout the country. It's at least coming up as a live issue. Uh, and it's something that I think is really important to fight for because once you ch- you change that calculus in terms of things like housing, healthcare, public goods, you make you get people to think of them that way and not market commodities, then I think a lot is possible. You really change people's perceptions of the world and the economy um, if you can get them to to move away from housing as a marketized commodity. Uh, and instead see it as a human right, which it should be. Um, so we are talking today to a couple guys in Salt Lake City, where they have a mayoral election, where housing is a key issue and homelessness is a key issue as well. Uh, I'm one, curious about this race because there is, a, a, a I th- in my opinion, a stark contrast between two of the leading candidates and there could be some really interesting changes and we will see. Yes, this is, this is the precipice we're talking about in many ways. Salt Lake city is kind of a microcosm of the choice that most American cities face. Do we keep going the way of gentrification in housing, private development, or do we start to craft a new model? Um, and that's the question that's on the, on the, on the agenda for the voters of Salt Lake, there's a lot of other uh, different contours and interesting things about this race. Um, so to discuss it, we have a couple of our friends from the Brigham Young Money podcast out of Utah. We have our boys, Jordan and Greg. We are now joined by Greg and Jordan from the Brigham Young Money podcast out of the great state of Utah. Thank you for joining us, boys. Thank you for having us. Yeah. What is Utah's, as I was saying that, I realizing I don't know Utah's official nickname and or slogan. Uh, What is it? Uh, Industry. That's it. Really? Wow. Yeah, it's it's on the flag. It's really bland. They also call us like the Beehive State. Or that, but this official motto is just industry. Really, we wow. love it, don't we, folks? <laughs> Damn, that well, beats Excelsior, well, which is I, what I, we have here in New York. But I would assume so, but not by much, though. I mean, it's what, more honest, but that—that's basically every state's ulterior. What model. industry are they re- referring to? Um, initially I'm sure it was, um, genocide, but now it's more, uh, <laughs> multi-level marketing and, uh, tax sector. Well, this actually, how much, how much do you guys like, uh, Skynet, but making it a reality? Oh, damn. That, uh, sounds exactly what I look for in a state. Yeah. At least if I was an entrepreneur, um, that actually, so I was going to ask this later, but this actually segues into one of my questions. Mormons, of course, quite a few of them in Utah, um, they are very successful in on an industrial level 
Is there something about Mormonism that creates and churns out entrepreneurs, especially in like Utah? Jordan, you want to take this? Yeah, well, I guess I can. Um, we did the full episode of Trash Future about this, but um, essentially those missions that we send people on and all that too, like at a certain point, it just becomes like salesperson grind set mentality. So like if you have two years of intensive, like high pressure sales, and then you get sent right into the workforce after that, you kind of already have that experience a little bit more than you would otherwise. Yeah, that always made sense to me. Um, but I, and I should ask too: Are you guys were you guys raised in the Mormon faith, or are you uh, just Utah residents without that uh, affiliation? All of us actually were. That's kind of how we started the podcast and how okay. we bonded. Was uh, uh, first of all, we all campaigned and canvassed for Bernie in twenty twenty, and that's how we nice. met online. And then realized that we had like really su super similar upbringings. And we're able to bond a lot and like growing up in the church and then falling away. And it's, it's when we set out to do the podcast, it wasn't necessarily our goal to kind of explain Utah to outsiders, but we've kind of carved a niche because it is such a strange place. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean that, and that brings me to, you know, one of the reasons we had you on is, is the, there's an upcoming mayoral election in uh, Salt Lake city uh, which I, if I'm not mistaken, is the capital of Utah. Is that correct? Sure is. Great. Um, and this is perhaps a, a misconception. A lot of people see Salt Lake City, Utah. They think, oh, it's in Utah must be very conservative. It's like, must be like the Mormon hub, the beehive, if you will, or the Mormons flock to and nurse. Um, but SLC as it's, I, I believe they call it that colloquially. I don't, maybe I'm sure do. Okay, great. Did you learn uh, that from a uh, film that you saw about it? I, that's how I did may it. have. <laughs> yes. Well, that's a, actually a certain a certain musical persuasion. Yeah. <laughs> is how accurate, I guess, is SLC punked in the sense that like is Salt Lake City um a, a lot more progressive than than people think? Politically, we are a little more progressive in like Salt Lake City in essentially. I mean, there is a reason why the legislature had to cut Salt Lake County in general into four different just splitting it evenly between every single congressional district just to make sure there wasn't one solidified uh, voting base within it. And generally, since it's the largest metropolitan area in the state, too, it does a, it is able to drive politics a little bit. Like, for example, in 2016, Bernie beat Hillary by like ungodly like bath party levels, of, like 70 to 16. And like in 2020, he still won a large plurality by at least 20 points. And that was probably the only super Tuesday state he won. So we do have a progressive element to it. And I think uh, Greg could probably talk a little bit more about the cultural element on that too. Yeah. I think I can piggyback off of it. There's, there's something that's always kind of struck me about the movie SLC punk. And if you watch the intro, there's the big hardcore show at the beginning uh, where the, like the band gets beat up. And then there's the scene where they're backstage and they're like, we're never coming to Utah ever again. I don't know <laughs> if you guys remember that. Oh yeah. But I do. I, and, and then uh, Matthew Perry's character talks about, or not, sorry, Ma Matthew, Matthew Lillard. Lillard. Matthew yes. Lillard, sorry. <laughs> R.I.P. He's on the brain. Bad. 
This is this is yeah. He's on he's on the brain. My wife. O- only posers die, Matthew Perry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, where he talks about how uh, Salt Lake kind of has an inferiority complex, and because Salt Lake is so conservative and so white and and so just kind of and and so religious, the counterculture feels like they have to go that much harder. And I do think that that does still kind of ring true in a way uh, with the population. It's like the one one of the the few cities that uh, Mormonism is no longer the the dominant part of the population. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's like this crazy you know liberal bastion or, or really all that progressive, but in comparison to the rest of the state, it's this like little blue enclave in this deep red sea i've never been to salt lake city but i could have told you that because that's how that works in every red state sure yeah absolutely and so when these because you know the legislators from other parts of the state have to come in to slc that's oh, i unless i'm mistaken overwhelmingly uh republican the legislature do they just think you're freaks or do they, do they avoid you are they terrified like uh what's that dynamic like it's mostly oh, avoidance. Abs- yeah, I mean, it, it's like every other red state too, where it's like the cities are are a hellscape that they must be avoided at all st- at all cost. Right. Um, well, this brings us to the election coming up. Originally, I, I asked Jordan if you guys wanted to come on a few weeks ago because I figured that, like all the other municipal elections going on in the country, that we've uh, some of which we've we've covered on the show, it would be the first Tuesday of the month. However, it got pushed back to the last Tuesday, the last or second to last Tuesday of November. Uh, what happened? It's it's throwing off my my chi, this uh, this mayoral election that is out of sync with the rest of America. So to explain why we're doing this election like two weeks after everyone else in the country, we have to go back to June when uh, Congressman Chris Stewart uh, resigned unexpectedly shit. in June. Yeah. Yeah, Greg's a congressman, uh, resigned unexpectedly in June to spend more time with his family and the defense lobbyist firm he he shortly joined thereafter. Um, And then after that, since there is a single digit majority in the House, um, they were terrified of what was going to happen. So the legislature called a special session. They pushed back all the elections two weeks and then also on top of that pushed back all the primaries two weeks as well. And then provided funding for all the counties to essentially just reprint all the ballots with uh, a special election for the second congressional district as well. So that's why we're doing this wonderful election like the week before Thanksgiving. Mm. And uh, of particular interest to me, uh, this election does have a, uh, it is competitive and there is someone who's fairly progressive left wing uh, who could potentially win. He was mayor of, of Salt Lake City in the aughts. Rocky Anderson, who I first became familiar with in, in 2011, uh, this was somebody who challenged Obama in the general election. He formed a new party, the Justice Party. I remember uh, when it started him comparing himself to the Arab Spring, saying that <laughs> they did it in Egypt. Maybe we can overthrow the capitalist class. I mean, he didn't use that term, but maybe we could have, you know, something akin to that in, in the United States. He ended up getting 
just and I am sorry to say I ended up voting for Jill Stein in that election because she just seemed like she would get more votes. And she did by several uh, hundred thousand. Um, but what has he been up to in the uh, in the over the past decade? And is it looking like he'll take this thing? So it's kind of interesting how this one's playing out a little bit. Um, since he uh, ran for ran for president in 2012, he's still been a part of the Justice Party. In 2016, they backed Bernie, and they also did that again in 2020 as well. So he still got his progressive bona fides there. Um, he is still kind of a bit of a rad lib a little bit, though. Cause, um, yeah, that's a good way to describe him. <laughs> yeah he does have the the progressive bona fide. like when he was mayor in 2006 like he protested george w bush coming to town with like the veterans of foreign wars uh a convention they had and i think the salt palace here and so he's always kind of been on that progressive edge a little bit but he also backed like evan mcmullen like in 2020 as well so it's or 2022 so it's like he's always been really progressive but also there's like little blind spots where he'll just like do the standard like liberal thing as well. Yeah, it's it's been really kind of a bummer to to see him uh throughout this campaign. He's almost doing like the conservative talking points of painting downtown Salt Lake as this like complete hellscape. Like it's fucking Fury Road or something like that and like the homeless are out of control and there's this huge drug problem and like you can't walk around downtown which is it's just extremely funny to me to like be scared of downtown salt lake city (laughs) (laughs) like i've lived here i've lived in salt lake for the better part of 40 years and there's not a single street that i would be scared to walk down or take my five-year-old down in the middle of the night uh, and I, I understand why he's doing it as like a, a talking point. It's almost like, I hate to say this, but it's kind of true of like Trumpian of like, uh, pinpointing, uh, the pain that's going on in this city and like real problems and exploiting them, uh, and, and painting himself in this, in this light of like, he's the only one who can fix this because he's got the bona fides and like, when he was mayor in 2006, this wasn't a problem. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of contradictory because you see the two campaigns running between Aaron Mendenhall, the incumbent mayor right now and Rocky as well too, because Aaron Mendenhall is running on like that. Well, Salt Lake city is the best it's ever been, but the policy she's pushing is the exact opposite. But as you have Rocky, you're saying, uh, actually it's the first 15 minutes of demolition man out there and then pushing things like social housing and things like that. It's right. complete opposites of what you would expect from a campaign. Right. That That's one I wanted to ask about because yeah, his, his rhetoric, it's like almost like a Travis Bickle monologue from taxi driver. Yeah, absolutely. That's perfectly but, said. <laughs> really? But his We're going to act- see him in a, yeah, he's going to come to the next debate in a mohawk and a trench coat. <laughs> But his the heroin Bob is he's supposed to look like. Wow, it all came full circle. <laughs> yeah, nice. Let's go. <laughs> but his actual maybe actually he would do well because of that. You know, he might. Well, that's the I thing mean... is is will that because his actual platform, as you said, is social housing. It's like this is like the standard for socialist uh, politicians around the country now uh, that he's talking about. Uh, it's referencing Vienna and other places where they have social housing, where it's it's um, close to being a not for profit good. Uh, but is that that's kind of a weird contradiction there? Is he like peeling off 
conservative voters to to vote for this left wing thing, or is it more so that he's alienating uh, progressive people with the with the lines? It's kind of a little bit of both, which is once again, this is one of the weirdest elections I've ever seen where you'll have like these like really staunch conservatives who live in places like federal Heights and like the avenues who are like the Salt Lake city has just gone to hell. So we just need change as much as we can. And then you'll also see like somewhat more leftist people like there, we have ranked choice voting in this uh, state this time. So you'll see people like there is a member of DSA running as well. He's got like $500 of funding. He's probably not going to go that far, but you've seen him like, well, rank me one and then Rocky two, Mm -hmm. and then don't put Aaron at all all on the ballot. So you see just a very weird mix of all of it. Right. And, and that guy is, uh, I believe he owns a cidery. Is that correct? Michael Uh, Valentine. Yes. He, He owns a cider bar. I think, I don't know what the proper term for a cider bar is. Yeah, he's a very particular type of guy uh, that I've witnessed. Some of them in Minnesota. Um, I think it's more of like a West American West thing where it's like hipster, but they got the the long braids and uh, glasses and are into just kind of funky psychedelics. Like he seems like somebody who would be at like a disco biscuit show or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> But what yeah, are his? He wore, he wore a fucking Sesame Street shirt to the debate. <laughs> yeah, I want. Yeah, I watched that. I was like, why is he wearing this? And then he was like, because we're on PBS and I support PBS. So I'm wearing Sesame Street uh, and it kind of all came together. Um, but I, I will say this about Michael. He is very passionate but also he's that level of like passion that you see on posters who like generally have like the feds come visit them at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right here guys. <laughs> oh, he hey, seems Jake. like a nice guy. I'll give him that. I would drink his cider. Okay. That's an endorsement. Um, sure. So what are his reasons for running and, and is he uh, significantly different from, from Rocky on, on the issues? Well, a lot of it has to deal with the fact that developers demolished a historic theater on Main Street in Salt Lake City. And he always brings that up for some, like, at a certain point, you have to like, man, you got to let it go. But <laughs> he, he brings up the, the Pantage Theater, I think, in every single interview and post he's ever made. And I, I respect it. It's always good to be passionate. But um, I think that might be his driving force. And not much else. Bully theater kids, man. (laughs) Ooh, as a former uh, theater kid, not much. Oh yeah, you just said that to a fucking mime. (laughs) 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 Forgot about that. Sometimes I forget you're a clown, Anders. I mean, with every like uh, crank candidate, there is some history of of bullying there that that drives them to do it. Um, But not that I know anything about that. Uh, But so the incumbent. Aaron Mendenhall, uh, and I, if I'm not mistaken, this is ranked choice, also nonpartisan, so they don't have any party mm-hmm. affiliation officially attached to them. Uh, she's been in office for, uh, she was elected four years ago. Uh, what mm-hmm. is her record and what's kind of the uh, milieu in Salt Lake City that she represents? 
Well, starting from the very beginning, she um, on the night she was inaugurated, she um, the police were sicked on uh, homeless uh, protesters outside of City Hall. So that was a good start and kind of laid the groundwork for everything else is going. She's really compassionate and very passionate about public art and uh, bike paths and redevelopment, especially if there's possibility of getting rid of certain criminal elements out of certain parts of the city. It's it's a lot of um, it's a lot of place based policing. It's a lot of redevelopment. Like her big thing, because the two real big issues facing this election is affordable housing and homelessness. And the way that she addresses that is using the city's redevelopment agency to just give loans to developers all across the city to essentially build more affordable units of housing pretty much the antithesis of what like Rocky's plan is of just like having the city own its own properties and charge rent that way. So that's what it is. Um, this last week, they, um, her and our governor, Spencer Cox came up with a proposal for a private public partnership that would bring the city and the state to have shelters in place for homeless people. And also it would just say those homeless people, you can either go to the shelters or, you go to jail because you can't stay in the public streets. I think she literally said like, you can't be on our public spaces mm. and yeah, it's really horrible there. And in conjunction with that too, it got funding for these sort of shelters from the LDS church, um, a bunch of development uh, companies, Zion's bank, which is like the biggest bank in the state. Um, just all of the property interest you would think of for like a city of our size. And it seems like what their whole goal is just to push homelessness to either like sanctioned camps or to shelter, but nowhere in like public spaces just to get them out of the way of any sort of like commerce that could possibly happen. Right. And, you know, this has been happening in, in a lot of cities, um, I guess, evictions of, of encampments uh, in Salt Lake City. They're, they're being called abatements. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's her term. Um, what What has that process been like? And uh, what are some of the potential solutions to, to dealing with this issue. Um, well, they're fucking monstrous. They just get front loaders and just load people's stuff into them when they're not there. And there's even been a few cases of actually people being caught up in the front loaders when they're loading tents into the back of dump trucks and things like that, which is just this, inhuman this, to it. Have you ever seen yeah, toilet green? They scoop people up with the fucking uh, yeah. garbage trucks. That's where these things are headed. Exactly. Yeah. I do. I do also just want to quickly add that uh, Aaron Mendenhall's homeless policy that she came out with is like legitimately no different than the homeless policy that uh, Trump was talking about earlier today. Like, there's there's literally no distinguishable difference. Yeah, it's just established camps or jail or shelters. There's yeah. no in between on it's any like, of that building municipal concentration camps for the, for the homeless. Yeah. It it really does say something that like the most progressive, like policy that either Rocky or Aaron Mendenhall has for the temporary solution for homelessness is like, well, we might give them a place like pitch a tent and like, we won't sick the cops on them. Then I feel like that's ultimately what this race is about. It's like choosing your level of depravity. And like yeah. what it is that you're comfortable with. It's like, who are you willing to like hold your nose for? 
yeah. yeah. I mean, essentially, yeah. Because, I mean, in the short term, that's what it's going to be. It's like there's no good solution short term because there's just no established housing for for the homeless right now. And long term is where you're going to have to, like, make your deal with the devil, whether or not you're going to go with social housing or just more public financing of of developers projects. Yeah. Like there was a, there was a perfect story that really summed this all up uh, in our local paper paper of record where out on the, out on the West side of Salt Lake, where there are a number of homeless encampments, there was an old uh, abandoned hotel that during COVID became a homeless shelter and gave people a place where they could live and have some dignity. And it was doing some real good. Uh, and one of the big problems with Erin Menenhall is she's basically given developers, including her own husband, uh, carte blanche when it comes to developing the city. Uh, and that uh, that Ramada Inn is now being bulldozed for a potential Major League Baseball stadium. Jesus mm. Christ. Yeah. That, is well, like, is like, that, that could not sum up Erin Menenhall's... Uh, tenure as mayor any better oh well i was about to say she's uh literally in bed with a housing developer but it's utah so maybe they sleep in separate beds uh, <laughs> yeah she's in all through oh, the we sheets could into, we could go into the affair she had and when she had to explain that during the uh, oh really oh yeah yeah oh, i would, I would oh. love to hear about this so, so that's a fun story. Um, before she became mayor, she was a city councilman, uh, a city councilwoman, apologize. Uh, inside, and she had an affair with another member of the city council uh, who Ooh. is now her husband. Um, and like he became a developer and she became mayor. So that Damn. seems like a natural progression for all of them. <laughs> it's it's it should, it should it's, also it should also be noted that throughout Aaron Menenhall's tenure, she has given the Salt Lake City Police Department a forty million dollar raise, so roughly ten million dollars a year. Oof, sure. It, it literally went from like seventy million to one hundred and ten million under her mayorship, which is just amazing. Especially because she came in like almost immediately during like the George Floyd p- protests and all that too, like. She like did all the things. It was like, well, you know, we're gonna take a look at the budget and you know make our cuts. And then the next thing, he's like, we're gonna give him twenty five million dollars. Yeah, she po- <laughs> like she made like a big mural by the the Salt Lake City Library downtown where they painted Black Lives Matter on the street. And then she went ahead and gave the Salt Lake Police Department an extra forty million dollars. Yeah, that kind of happened everywhere. I mean, New York City yeah. elected Eric Adams after twenty twenty, and uh, this whole thing like just reeks of city politics. We talk about mayors a lot on this show and how like specific dynamics to that office, to city government leads to uh, these incentives to just like constantly hit the fucking police budget button. And uh, you know, and also just like paper over these contradictions, like uh, homelessness that I don't know, it's almost set up to where, you know, within the two parties we have, there aren't really even any other moves if you're trying to get elected. Right. I I think a lot about, you know, when I'm, when I've been reading, kind of analyzing this election of the Adolf Reed quote, where he said that, uh, you know, liberals don't make policies anymore. They just bear witness to suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, going around. That, that's like that. Like couldn't <laughs> again. That why. couldn't sum up Aaron Menenhall's uh, mayoral tenure any better. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, she she just barely got endorsed by like 
our Republican governor and also the previous Republican governor. And like both of them were very anti LGBTQ. And like today she's like, we're raising the flag for trans visibility week. It's like, all right, well, you know, you're kind of, kind of undoing that with your last couple actions, but you know, that's Ugh. fine. That's nice. Well, it doesn't matter if you're not going to do anything about it, you know? Right. Yeah. It's kind of like how Lauren Michaels is a Republican and he doesn't care that Saturday Night Live is, you know, super lib or whatever because it doesn't do anything. Right. Right. Well, I take it, though, there's a similar phenomenon in Salt Lake City and and in Utah in general where people see the uh, homelessness and the poverty and say, oh, well, this must be because of defund the police, which we heard about uh, that must have happened here. And that's the reason for it. Um, what is what? How is police uh, coming up as an as an issue in in the campaign? And are there um, different proposals? I know you know when Rocky was mayor, uh, there was some tension with the the police union. Uh, are they concerned about uh, him being reelected? Well, they went out and endorsed Aaron Mendenhall pretty quickly, so <laughs> it didn't take that- long at all. That should tell you one thing. Uh, Rocky has said, at least on our podcast, at least that he is going to fire uh, Mike Brown, the chief of police, like day one of his administration. So I think that's a good thing. Um, During the debates, he brought up the fact that like, you've had a lot of misconduct with like Salt Lake city police. Like there was one case where they just let a guy bleed to death without actually rendering aid at all. And, and like the tales of like Salt Lake city police are like legion at this point. Like we've done so many episodes on them and they're all just, make you want to jump off a building yeah i I think about how they had to have their entire canine unit um suspended just because (laughs) they kept sicking dogs on surrendering black people which if you know the demographics of salt lake city is kind of amazing in itself right that's what i wanted to ask multiple cases were the dogs suspended with or without pay Uh, they got to go to one of those travel kennels for a few days, I think. Um, I, I didn't read the full case study. Yeah, <laughs> fucking blue yeah. shield every goddamn time. <laughs> the hand in his collar. Um, well, that's. I am curious about the demographics of Salt Lake City. I've heard it's overwhelmingly Caucasian. Uh, but what what is the breakdown of of ethnic minorities? Are there so any? Yes, there are. As a okay. matter of fact, as a matter of fact, we were a very red line city in the 1930s. So, gotcha. we still, are. if you if you see a map of Salt Lake City, you'll see I-15 go right through the middle of it. Everything to the west of I-15 is pretty much where has been predominantly Hispanic. Um, that's where they also had a lot of like Greek and Japanese citizens is there as well too. Because after World War II, the Japanese citizens didn't have anywhere else to go, so they came to Salt Lake City because there was an established Japanese neighborhood. Um, so there is a, there is a, there is a demographic divide in the city and the West side has generally been more ethnic compared to the, to the East side. The East side's more rich. That's the East side's more white. And you also see these results in like elections as well. Um, uh, for example, in 2020 or 2019, when, uh, the last mayoral race, you had Luz Escamilla versus Aaron Mendenhall. And Escamilla got everything on the west side and Mendenhall got everything on the east side. And there was just barely enough to get her across the line. That's so very it, progressive. Usually cities, the east side is the bad neighborhood. Somehow you've managed <laughs> to turn around and I applaud you. It's because we built everything on the east side of the Great Salt Lake. So we pushed them more towards the uh, land that smells like rotten eggs. Gotcha. Mm. That makes sense. It's also <laughs> like if you just look at the geography of Salt Lake City, the east side is literally where the hills are. So it's like the house on the hill thing is it really rings true. Yeah, you go literally. literally. The hills. I gotcha. 
So there is a uh, significant uh, Latin American population in Salt Lake? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's like 30% or so that's his- Hispanic compared to anywhere else in the, I guess, in the region. Um, yeah, it, it's more than that. And you'll see that in like certain areas of the city too. Like for example, like Rose Park, West Valley, they're also like the West Valley is a separate city in the County, but also kind of has the same sort of demographic structure as like the West side of Salt Lake city. Hmm. Well, yeah, I was noticing there are, um, the city council seems somewhat diverse. Um, there are Latin American uh, city councilors, but the composition overall, even though Salt Lake, uh, at least relative to, to Utah, is uh, progressive, that seems it looks like right now there's a Republican majority on the city council. Uh, what's the municipal? What are some of the um, city council races you're watching, and could that uh, change perhaps this election? Um. I think that's more the county council that's Republican. City council and okay. Salt Lake still also nonpartisan. So generally, they're all still very much in the state Democratic Party. So there, you generally don't have too many, but you have a few. Um, <clears throat> you have a few Congress uh, council members like Dan Dugan's a good example where he's the vice chairman of like the redevelopment agency. So he's kind of a little in with uh, developers as well as you can kind of see through some of his like financial disclosures. Um, there is one race that includes like the chairman of the Salt Lake city police foundation. Um, he sucks. I can't remember his name. It's uh, on the top of my head, but yeah, generally most of them are still very progressive. There is one race and I can't remember his name that his signs are made to look exactly like Elizabeth Warren's old campaign <laughs> signs, like, <laughs> like, like Liberty green, Navy blue text. I'm like, and every single time I see that, I just get like weird flashbacks of snake emojis and everything. And I just like, <laughs> I disassociate for like five minutes. Damn. Um, but what kind of, uh, uh, what is the, the current composition, I guess, ideologically, because as you said, it's the nonpartisan, uh, does it break more, uh, uh Mendenhall allies or, or is there sort of a, a progressive opposition? Well, I think all of the city council endorsed her. So I think that's pretty safe to say. Um, there, yeah, at least the majority of the city council endorsed Mendenhall. So it's a lot of like more neoliberal liberals, essentially, if you mm-hmm. can buy that. There's not too many progressives for the most part. When uh, 2020 came around with the primaries and everything, like almost the entire city and county government for Salt Lake like, came out immediately to endorse Buttigieg. And then, like, he dropped out the day before the Utah primary. So that was ah. funny for a lot of reasons. What's well, interesting? I mean, uh, Buttigieg, also uh, obviously a member of the LGBTQ uh, community, um, which is, it's, it seems, at least from an outsider perspective, that the attitudes uh, have changed, at least within the Mormon church, uh, towards things like gay marriage. Um, is that your sense over the past few years? It's it's get I would say that it's it's slowly getting better. It's not necessarily like accepted, but uh, it is interesting that per capita Salt Lake City has one of the biggest LGBTQ communities in the nation. Mm. And it's a, a super uh, like LGBTQ friendly city. Uh, ninth uh, what was it? Ninth South is Harvey Milk Boulevard. Uh, before Aaron Mendenhall, our former mayor, what, what's her name? I'm forgetting her name. Jackie Bilsucky. Yeah. Is a, you know, a, a lesbian woman. Uh, and 
So for the most part, it's I would say that like I'm not going to sit here and say that Salt Lake is super progressive, but it is getting better. And inside the city, like it's I wouldn't say that it's that big of a deal. However, like when you extrapolate it out to the Utah legislature, I mean, our our legislation or our legislature and our mayor signed like the very first trans ban. Uh, Yeah. Barring Um, barring high school athletes from from playing high school sports. And they also did like the first like national ban on like gender affirming care for minors and things like that. But they also like to hang their hat on something called like the fairness for all act, which was like, this supposed to be like a big compromise between like non-discrimination laws against uh, that would protect like LGBTQ people, but also protect like religious liberties. And it seems like a great deal until you start digging into it a little bit where it says like, well, we're going to exempt all like church businesses and church uh, institutions from like these non-discriminatory discriminatory practices. So like, for example, like BYU, which runs a lot of like student housing in Utah County in general for not just like students, but also just for like young people that have like an apartment, you can still get kicked out of housing there for just being gay. Mm. And things like that too and also like it exempts every small business in the state too and since we're like a like we love to like uh enshrine like small businesses as like the pillars of entrepreneurship like it's also kind of a bad deal yeah it's really interesting the way that uh like politically more liberal and conservative institutions will um sort of figure out a way to compromise and allow queer people into their world. Um, you know, like that's how you end up with a Pete Buttigieg. You can be gay as long yeah. as you're the straightest, most terrifyingly conservative gay white person of all time. You know, uh, uh, I find myself very confused trying to game out how this even happens in Mormon world because the social politics are so bizarre. Like uh, men and women don't sleep in the same bed, but men, sometimes have multiple wives uh you know how do you how do you absorb into that community do you is it are we fighting for the right for uh men to fuck each other through a hole in the sheet and pray to god afterwards <laughs> what's happening here i am well the, the leader of like the largest like civil rights organization for lgbtq people in utah was actually like mentored by gail ruzica who was like the leader of the eagle forum so what's the eagle forum it's one of those insane like right wing like organizations from like the seventies and all that. Gotcha. Like, they were like an anti like ERA organization, and gotcha. so like to get their start, they had to have someone who was already in with like the hard right, and then just kind of move from there. Yeah, mm. totally. I see. I mean, yeah, I mean Troy Williams is his name, and he's come out like multiple times and like straight up said, "No, I am a Republican. Don't get it twisted." <laughs> Yeah, right. and he runs Equality Utah right now. And one of their major strategies was like, well, let's just give Republicans money and maybe they'll talk to us afterwards. And it, um, it has not worked, if you can imagine that. Right. It was weird. It, it does seem, though, like I remember I was reading about Robert Redford, who uh, lives in Utah, at least had a house in mm-hmm. Utah. And he, I saw he endorsed. Ski resort. Yeah, there you go. And a film festival. I don't know if he owns that, but. Um, but he endorsed the current governor who is Republican. I was like, well, why is Robert Redford doing that? And, uh, it, it kind of seemed like you kind of have to, if you're, you know, at least a Mr. Moneybags like him or something, you pick the horse that is, uh, I guess the, the least worst out of the Republicans, which, you know, we're used to the least worst between the two parties, but are there like 
liberals and progressives who are just, uh, and I mean, I guess Rocky Anderson is an example, who they just end up picking and, and endorsing and having relationships with uh, conservative Republicans because they're like not as bad as some of the other ones. Um, think- yeah. Oh, go ahead, Greg. I was going to I know. I think that's, I think that's spot on. I think so much of what we're going to see in this election, especially with people voting for Rocky is that it's not necessarily like an endorsement or a vote for Rocky as much as it is a repudiation for, uh, Aaron Mendenhall. Hmm. Like it kind of is like, you know, again, like choose your level of depravity. And I think you're going to see a lot of people just kind of hold their nose and vote for Rocky, uh, as well as like, the, there seems to be a bit of, of just fatigue when it comes to Aaron Mendenhall and her policies and, you know, the changes and, and, and just how overdeveloped the city is becoming. It really feels like Salt Lake is kind of making all of the same mistakes that the, uh, the Bay area did during the dot-com era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just the overdeveloping and, and like, I mean, cost of living in Salt Lake has skyrocketed over the last four years. There was a, a, a Salt Lake Tribune article that came out that said the cost of living in Salt Lake now is on par with Chicago, despite being a fraction of the size of Chicago and having like, you know, a fraction of the amenities and, and, and everything else that a city that size has. And so people, you know, and like Salt Lake, there's there's affluence, but the average person isn't making a ton of money. and you know, people are, are living off these razor thin margins and more and more people are having to leave the city because they can't afford that. And that can be directly attributed to Aaron Mendenhall's policies and giving carte blanche to developers. Yeah. And there's a, there's a real fatigue there. And there are people who like, you know, don't want to be priced out of the city who I think are, are going to vote for Rocky because even though he may not be great, he's a change. Yeah, what I've seen so far is like everyone who kind of looks at this election kind of like the Seymour Skinner ass, like, can we just have a good clean election? Like, they're they're all busting for Aaron because that seems like much more of a safer institutional yeah. pick as opposed to like mm-hmm. people who are actually struggling and things like that are kind of leaning more towards Rocky because like, well, he might be a little strange, but at least he acknowledges there's a fucking problem. Right. And is there a real possibility that Salt Lake City will become the next – Austin or San Francisco that that big tech will move in and it'll be uh, much more developed, but uh, just way more unequal than it is even now. Well, Anders, I'm glad you brought that up because the New York Times seemed to think so when they wrote an Ah. article like last month that said like, we're four years away from being Austin, which made me want to cry. Because I don't want to be Austin. Like, yeah, I, I yeah, like Salt Lake City. <laughs> you definitely don't want to be Austin. No. It's a fine city, but there's a reason I don't live in Austin. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, we are on that way, but God, I hope we don't go that way. And, and tangentially, as as tech... sorry, go uh, ahead. Just tangentially related, I am opening up a comedy club in Salt Lake City. Uh, we'll have. Oh, it's like an, an alt right edgelord comedy uh-huh. club that'll turn it into Austin. Yeah. <laughs> Well, 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 good luck with that. Our our soccer stadium's name American First Field. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know how the Creek of the Cave is called the Creek of the Cave. We should open up a, uh, an old comedy club called the River in the Sea and uh, you know, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> hardcore anti-Zionists about it. The salt in the lake, which would be really good because Mormons love to be weebos for Jews. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Um. But so then this election actually could be quite decisive in uh, the city's future, uh, perhaps. I mean, does Rocky represent kind of a, 
a last stand and um, from from you know not becoming Austin. And if he wins, what what powers will he actually have? Since it sounds like the city council is is more on the the other side of of liberalism, uh, what, will he actually be able to to stop this, or is it just kind of an inevitability? Well, I think that's kind of a hard question to ask because I think like the, what he represents right now is at least like a shift of the Overton window from just like, mm -hmm. just like redevelopment and just giving pretty much just interest-free loans to developers who just build housing everywhere too. And also just allowing every tech sector just come in and just like destroy the place. Like it's actually something that could actually build some public good that could kind of grow into something else and actually possibly actually change the course of the city from just another like technocratic neoliberal hellhole. Right. Yeah. I mean, housing is, uh, I think, a super important issue, probably the most important issue uh, in urban areas around the country. Um, I, I, you know, it, I know a few years ago, I remember reading this and a, a listener wrote in and said that this program since um, ended or changed, but there was a program giving uh, homeless people hotel rooms or, or apartments in, in Utah. Um, is that accurate and and do you know what what happened with that well that seemed to have ended around like the housing crisis in 2008 because like one of the problems especially with like building housing and using like these public private partnerships are is that you have the building cycles like you do with everything else too if there's no money in it for anyone you're just not going to build them anymore because mm -hmm. sadly the state doesn't have the infrastructure to actually build it on its own and you and in times of like austerity like 2008 and 2009 were you were just having none of that. Like no one could really find the political will to keep a program like that going. Now, Rocky has talked a lot about restarting programs like that too, and rebuilding that sort of like public good that could actually house people at like a high level, like they did in those two thousands during his first couple terms. So hopefully that might be the case, but still it's uh, obstacles facing like a hostile state legislature and a, very development or de development friendly uh, city council as well. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I mean, certainly interesting to see, to see what happens. I mean, it would love for social housing to, to take off anywhere uh, in the U S to see it in Salt Lake city would be cool. Although that's, you know, very, very high, uh, high hurdle. Um, something you mentioned too, is the, the bees, uh, the minor league team have, uh, floated out of town um which by the way you said the beehive is part of like the uh, like a slogan or something with salt lake city is that why the the team was named that the, the yeah we're, we're the beehive state so okay. they, they love doing that too because like once again like all the worker bees work together and all that like that uh, i think that's a brigham young thing from like that's why it's called deseret because that's the book of mormon word for for beehive the queen you know, bee I, practices polygamy and has thousands of husbands <laughs> that makes sense exactly Hot. i See, you know i've seen incredibly progressive <laughs> <laughs> i've seen this deseret news over the years and i keep see, seeing it come up when i'm like researching stuff and i keep thinking like is the guy who runs this dyslexic or something because it uh they spelled desert wrong but no it's deseret that's the thing um but there is a possibility that a major league team uh, will move in. Um, what uh, what are the prospects for that? And and you know, is it how do you guys feel about it? Because this, I'm always in a bit of a bind where, like, you know, when 
for instance, the Vikings were building a stadium in Minneapolis. I was like, part of me was like, ah, God, I hate that. That is such a waste of money. But then secretly I'm just uh, drooling at this, this awesome new stadium. (laughs) Well, I I mean, there's, there's no, no promise ahead, of a oh sorry yeah there, there's no promise of a team coming in it's just like the possibility of a team coming in so and I I I kind of feel mixed about it too like I'm a baseball fan I like baseball and like seeing a major league team would be wonderful but also at the same point too like I am not really excited about the prospects of some sort of like massive public giveaway to billionaires so they can have like some sort of horrible development that's going to take up a large part of like the west side of salt lake city yeah where housing is much more important than like building a bunch of bars like wrigleyville or something like it's it's kind of bleak if you think about it for a little bit right yeah and i mean and if you peel back the layers as to why the bees are leaving to the suburbs it's that uh the Larry H. Miller group, Larry H. Miller was a was a, a billionaire who now has a bunch of fail sons who run his his business and was the former owner of the Utah Jazz. Um, Larry H. Miller owns the bees. They also own a development on the west side of or the southwest side of Salt Lake County called Daybreak, where they're moving the team. So this is a this is an effort to protect their investment they spent millions and millions of dollars buying this land and developing it and now they're bringing that stadium in as a way to protect that investment and keep cost of living high so it's like there and and another reason that they'll you know they'll they'll cry about why they're leaving downtown is because you know it's it's the typical trope of it's you know a crime ridden and there's drugs everywhere and there's a homeless problem so it's just like it just is complete bullshit white flight in a way for them to make even more money. Okay. So, uh, so when, uh, Mendenhall, I've seen her say like, Oh, well the, the bees are leaving the minor league team, but everybody knows that's because really we're going to get a major league team in here. Is she kind of like bluffing with that? Or is that, uh, seem like that's going to happen. I think ultimately it's going to happen. It may not mean major league baseball, uh, but, there's also a lot of smoke around bringing an NHL team. In fact, Ryan okay. Smith has, has said as much. Ryan Smith is now the current owner of the Utah Jazz and is a you know big-time tech billionaire with a lot of, lot of money and a lot of venture capital and a lot of connections. And I think it's, it's pretty fair to say that one, if not both, professional teams will be here in salt lake in the next Mm. number of years they would i mean when it comes to stuff like this when there's that much smoke there has to be some fire Mm. and i what are some of the potential names i'm a big team name guy uh that's one of my passions is what what do you think we got utah pioneers salt lake lakers What do we think? We're gonna we're actually gonna poach more music we've never made in salt lake so we're gonna go like utah Utah Blues, I think, would be nice. <laughs> By the way, isn't that so? Unless I'm mistaken, I think Rocky started when he was mayor. Was it him who started the Utah Jazz Festival? I think so. I, yeah, I've actually been to that a couple a couple of times. It's it's a good time. Yeah, well, that's. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of neat. Did. That 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 feels like a right before the Olympics sort of thing too. Yeah, absolutely. Like there was like a, there was like a people were looking around at like 2000, 2001, like 
holy shit, we have no culture here at all. <laughs> and like the whole world's coming here. Well, Wait, yeah, I mean, that so is the, the jazz came from like New Orleans or something, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So then after the, the they moved to Utah, he made a jazz festival because there was implied to be jazz. Yeah, because it's of a the, genius the, move. What the yeah, fuck? Absolutely. <laughs> That's like putting up like a, we got to build a lake in uh, L.A. because the Lakers are here. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I am impressed by the gall in both cases of the Lakers and the Jazz just not changing the name to something like <laughs> that makes regional sense. But I like a lot of people. I, I have friends who are adults who are like, well, yeah, Jazz was founded in Utah, right? That's why they're called the Jazz, but. <laughs> No, no, it just stuck uh, to it. It's like it's because the owner couldn't afford. <laughs> exactly, the well, owner couldn't afford the lease on the. Uh, it's actually on the a super little dome. fact that the uh, Osmonds created jazz. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Osmonds created jazz in 1979. We had to bring them here just to supplant them. Donnie Osmond would do a lot of heroin before he would play, and that's why he was so good at it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Him and Miles Davis just uh just vibing. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, oh man. As we're running out here, I'm th- I'm thinking I have a I have a cousin, basically my only male cousin, uh lives in Salt Lake City. Uh he may live in the suburbs, but I, he lives in the area. Um It's all for- suburbs, man. Okay, fair enough. Uh who what what do you think about this election? If if you're uh, do you have a pitch? Per, let's say to my cousin, should I call him up and be like, "Hey, Mark, you gotta vote for Rocky. You gotta vote for Cider Guy," uh, or are we just kind of you know hands off, let let the chips uh, fall where they may? And and do you have any kind of um, prediction at this point as to as to what might go down next Tuesday? Greg, do you want to go first? I, I would say that personally, I'm not a huge fan of the direction that Salt Lake City is going. This is a place that I've lived, you know, like I said, for the better part of 40 years. It's a place that's that's near and dear to my heart. And, you know, I've chosen to live here and raise my family. Uh, and I don't like seeing this overdevelopment. I don't like seeing the cost of living skyrocket. Uh, I, I don't like seeing you know, my favorite music venues and, and other places downtown uh, be bulldozed for the same shitty condo plex to be put in right next to each other all over, all over the city. Uh, and I think kind of what you touched on Rocky might kind of be our last kind of a last ditch effort. I don't necessarily know if it's like, I don't think that he's some sort of like Christ-like figure or has this magic wand or that he's going to be able to change everything. But he does represent some sort of change, you know, that he's not just going to give prima nocta to developers, that there is an element of social housing and empathy and understanding the problems instead of just ignoring them and, you know, doing that whole bearing witness to suffering. Uh, I would say I would say that's my pitch is that uh, it's it's a change that needs to happen. It may not be perfect, but it's the best we have. Yeah, I think that's pretty much how I feel, too, is like this is at any level where we can kind of claw back some sort of like governmental power to uh, affect change when it comes to housing or when it comes to policing or anything like that, because at this point, it's pretty much just all just developer run. And for predictions and all that, too, 
I think initially on, I would have probably just picked Rocky out of hand because his uh, his signs are everywhere in the city and they have been for like almost a year now. So just like using like the Bill Mitchell, like ground game in our heart sort of mentality. Like I would just thought like, all right, I think he might actually do it. But Mendenhall has a huge battle chest that she has been using pretty much completely for like the last month or so. You can't go anywhere without seeing a Mendenhall ad anywhere. So I think it's going to be close, but I think she's probably going to get reelected just based off of like just the size of the endorsement she's gotten, just the fact that she's an incumbent alone and the fact that like she just had the battle chest to just go to war with. So if if there's one positive that I can say about Aaron Mendenhall, it's that she's exceptionally good at fundraising. Hmm. Yeah, especially from developers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is nice when you're friends with everybody with money, but uh, she's good at making money for her campaign. All right. Well, Mark, if you're listening, uh, Cousin Mark, this is going to come down to you. Go out there and <laughs> and cast that ballot. Um, as we're, we're running out the last question, I guess, uh, you mentioned there is a thriving and large GLBTQ uh, community in Salt Lake City. Nailed what it. is a queer community? Uh, <laughs> he said G first. No one does that. Go ahead. L- what is it? I'm stuck it's in LG- yeah. LGBTQ. LGBTQ. I'm. I'm I mean, it's this on is your line a- here, but well, this is actually an act I'm developing for the comedy club that's coming out in Salt Lake City. Uh, Great. Why? Hey, why do the lesbians get the first letter? <laughs> call it. Call into the show. Email us. <laughs> Seems unfair. Uh, but. <laughs> what is the what is the best gay bar in Salt Lake? Um, the I think it's triangles. It's triangles by a large margin. Yeah, I was about okay. to say. Or the trap some... door. My, yeah, it's been a long time. I don't do much bar hopping anymore because old. But in back in the day, it was tr- it was either triangles or the trap door. Yeah, there's there's been some great. Uh, I've I've gone to some drag shows at uh, Triangles. I've always enjoyed it there too. There's a few like newer ones that are opening up on State Street as well. I have not hit those, so I can't judge them. But if I had to say, I'd probably go with Triangles. Okay, you heard it here first. Brigham Young Money endorses Triangles Bar uh, in Salt Lake City. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Where can people find uh, the podcast and yourselves? Uh, you can find us on Twitter at uh, BYM Podcast on there. Blue Sky, we're just Brigham Young Money. Um, Twitter, you can find me at SLC Lunk. Yes, I base it off of the movie. Just go with that. Uh, it's it's a good same thing on Blue Sky too. You can find me there, Greg. Yeah, uh, I am uh, at Dad Sham Dad on all of the socials. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us and industry. <laughs> Industry. Woo. All right. Ugh.